Hey everybody, this is Father John Ricardo with Acts 29, and in the middle of all the craziness and the uncertainty that's going on right now, it seems from our perspective as a team that it's worth using these days to reflect in a more deliberate way on the scriptures every day, which for many of us now is the only spiritual food that we're receiving. And so we're going to do a special podcast series simply entitled, Be Not Afraid, God's Word in Uncertain Times. And we'll try to post something every day, usually reflecting on the scriptures so that we can listen in on what God is trying to say to us in these days. So what is manna? A really important and simple biblical principle we want to keep in mind. And an Old Testament passage that always comes to mind for me around this time of year as we begin to dive ever more deeply into the sixth chapter of John. So that's where we find ourselves right now at Mass in John chapter 6, which perhaps many of us know is often referred to as the bread of life discourse. This is the most extended teaching that Jesus offers us on the Eucharist in the Gospels. And there's a couple interesting things worth noting before diving in. One is, at the end of this chapter, as many of us perhaps know, uh, is when uh, a good number of people who had been following Jesus, who after this teaching on the Eucharist, on him giving his flesh to us to eat and his blood to us to drink, they begin to walk away. They just look at him and say, this is a hard saying, who can accept it? And they leave which should remind us that Jesus offers many hard teachings. In fact, I've often thought that one of the ways that we know, one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways we know as a parish, if we're truly preaching the gospel, is if we get smaller. Now, that might sound counterintuitive, but I think it comes right out of this chapter in John chapter 6. I mean, if we really preach the gospel then people are going to hear tough things and they're going to leave. I know for me, I did. I left for 10, 12 years where I just found the teaching of the gospel to be inconvenient for my own personal life and I just left. The other interesting thing about the ending of this chapter is Judas is identified in the Gospel of John as the first time as his betrayer. And many people have often made the observation that it's not to be missed that Judas's identity as the one who will deny Jesus and betray Jesus is linked to or shows up simultaneous with the teaching on the Eucharist. We'll leave that for another day. Again, the three things that came to my mind as I'm praying with this gospel are just making sure we understand what the manna is, getting clear on a very important scriptural principle so we can understand what the Eucharist is and what it's not, and then maybe reflecting for a moment on a passage uh, in Numbers. So what's the manna? So manna is a Hebrew word, which means quite literally, what is it? So the Israelites have left Egypt. They have no food, and they're in the desert. And so manna is this food for the journey, which God gives to the people of Israel all throughout their desert wanderings. In fact, he feeds them with this for 40 years years. They eat the manna until they finally eat the produce of the land in Canaan uh, some 40 years after they've left Egypt. So the manna was this honey-like wafer with a very flaky texture. But here's the key. 
The manna wasn't ordinary food. Nobody thought that, and the scriptures don't call it that. In fact, in the Psalms, Psalm 78, verse 24, and then again, verse 25, reflecting on God's provision for the people of Israel in the desert, this is what it says. He commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down upon them manna to eat. He gave them bread of heaven. Man ate the bread of the angels, and he sent them food in abundance. Or in Psalm uh, 105, verse 40, it says this, he gave them bread from heaven in abundance. The, the, The simple point here is just to note that the scriptures themselves refer to the manna as miraculous food. This is not ordinary food. This is bread of heaven, the bread of the angels, bread from heaven. Why is that important to keep in mind? Well, this is that sim- simple scriptural principle, and it's, it's basically this, that there is nothing in the Old Testament which is greater than anything in the New Testament. Nothing. Everything in the Old is prefiguring, foreshadowing, looking ahead to, pointing the way towards something in the new. And the more we know about the old, then the better it is that we can understand the new. This is why St. Jerome once famously said, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. And he was saying that in a commentary on Isaiah to drive home the point that unless we understand the Old Testament, we're never going to fully understand the new. And here's a great point. So, The crowds today in the gospel say to Jesus, our ancestors ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. This is why this whole conversation is triggered in my mind today. So if the manna is bread from heaven, miraculous food, bread of the angels, and it's a type, an image, a foreshadowing of the Eucharist, well, then the Eucharist has to be greater. It has to be. Which means the Eucharist can't be just bread. It can't just be a symbol. If that's the case, then the Old Testament would be greater than the New, and that's never the case in anything else. So, let me just offer, if I can, I want to point us to um, a passage which we're familiar with, I think, but maybe not familiar with what provokes it. So in the book of Numbers, in chapter 21, there's a scene where perhaps many of us remember um, God sends punishment upon the Israelites for their complaining. And the punishment are these seraph serpents, which bit the people and the people died. And then God instructs Moses to make a serpent, which is rather interesting, right? It helps us understand that it's not a strict prohibition about making graven images because God instructs Moses to make a graven image here. And this uh, serpent is mounted on a pole, and the Lord tells Moses, tell the people to look at the serpent, and if anyone looks at the serpent mounted on the pole, then they will be healed, which of course is itself a type in an image. Jesus himself refers to this, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so here's a type, the serpent on the pole is a type of Jesus on the cross who heals all of humanity now from our rebellion and our sins. So that part I think many of us probably know. We might remember that passage. The 
part that I want to make sure we do understand, though, is what provokes the people to complain. And so starting in verse 5 of Numbers 21, it says this, The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. Well, that's not true. They do have food. What's the food they have? They have the manna. And then they go on to say this. We are disgusted with this wretched food. And I bring that up simply because every time I pray with John 6, the Spirit always brings me back to this passage where the people who have been rescued from slavery, who have been abundantly provided for in the desert, who have been feeding on this extraordinary provision from God, say to God about his extraordinary provision, we are disgusted with this wretched food. And every time I pray that passage, my mind is immediately brought to the grief that God must feel, the anguish and the sadness, if we can say it that way, that this must provoke in God over what it is that he's provided the church in the bread of life, which is the body and the blood of his son. How many of us as Catholics have wandered from the Eucharist at some point in our lives. I know for me, for an abundance of years, I just didn't go to Mass. I know countless times where I received the Lord unworthily. I know countless times where I went up without thought. The extraordinarily low percentage of people who seem to believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist must painfully grieve God's heart. Perhaps today, as we, most of us anyway, experience a tremendous hunger and a longing and a desire for the Eucharist, we can just give God the pain that we feel, the absence that we feel, the inability for us to receive the Eucharist in some way to make reparation for all the times that we have received unworthily, those times that we have received without thought, and offer it perhaps in a most special way for those who've simply walked away. That God would increase, by the gift of his Spirit, uh, a firm belief and conviction and devotion to and love for the gift that is the bread of life, the most miraculous bread from heaven, the body and the blood of his Son hidden under the appearance of bread. <laughs>